everybody, this is Cindy Fish. You are listening to the At His Feet podcast. I want to invite you today to set aside your whirlwind of busyness and mental to-do list to have a seat beside me at the feet of Jesus. Now let's pursue Him together. Thank you for listening. Hello, uh, this is episode 10 of the podcast. Uh, today will be called Learning to Trust, and I will get to that in just a minute, but I wanted to say, um, I po- okay, so if you if we are connected on Instagram, I shared to my stories, if you saw it, that this week or last week that I wasn't uploading a new podcast, and I just wanted to share the reason for that. It was a really crazy week. And what I'm going to try to do is kind of get a couple of episodes kind of uh, built up, like in reserve, so that when we do have a crazy week like we did, which it does, it's not always that crazy as it has been, but so that when we do, I have something to share and I can just kind of plan ahead in that way. I didn't quite realize how packed our week was, and uh, sometimes Taylor warns me, and he did, but I just, I didn't really think of how packed it would be. I thought it would be cool to very, very quickly, before we start the main part of the episode, to share with you just some stuff that happened in the services. So we ended up, it was, we were in nine services in eight days in four different churches. So it was really cool. It was very busy and fast paced, but it was so incredible. The first city that we were in, we so we went from Marshall, Texas on a Sunday morning to uh, Texarkana on that Sunday night. And then um, on that Monday, we went to Philadelphia, Mississippi for a few days. And then we had one day off, and that was a travel day. And we went to Hugo, Oklahoma for a few more services. So what was really neat about this last week is that as tiring as it was, in some form, you know, uh, for just different travel days and with our kids and just them kind of running around like from service to service to service. Something that was so awesome to me was that we saw so many receive the Holy Ghost. You know, it's not like we always share numbers. It's not at all about numbers of how many have received the Holy Ghost or how many miracles, but I think it's good to just testify of what God did and, um, and I just want to share this for once. So when we were in Marshall, it was just one service, and, and they had said they had several people that needed the Holy Ghost. And so we were excited um, just knowing that we had an opportunity to pray with people and um, and just see God do something for, for someone that had been coming recently, some new people. There were three people in that one service that received the Holy Ghost, and I think one one person was end up getting baptized, and then something that I thought was really neat there, as far as me personally, a lot of times in the altar call, I'm holding a baby, and Ezra's running around, and so I'll be praying with someone and uh, or for someone, and Ezra will come, and he'll say, Mom, I have to go potty, so I don't always feel that effective in the altar, and so uh, sometimes to me, a personal connection is really neat when I get to have that. There's a girl that we had prayed for. She did not receive the Holy Ghost, not yet. I wouldn't be surprised if since then she has because she was so close. Um, really sweet girl. At lunch afterward, I got to tell her, 
my testimony as far as, you know, she was 17, just getting into the church. I don't know all the circumstances that led her to go to church or to get there, but I know that she wasn't raised in the church. It's really neat because I got to tell her my story. And, you know, I'm like telling her, I'm like, you know, when I first came, I remember that there was this crazy evangelist jumping and he stood on top of the pews to preach and he's screaming and jumping from pew to pew. And I said, I thought they were nuts. I thought these people were just crazy. and I didn't even want to be there. And she's like laughing and nodding her head. Like, so she's totally related. And I said, but now I'm married to that crazy evangelist. Uh, Not the one that was preaching when I went, I should explain that. But I said, now I'm married to a crazy evangelist that jumps on the pews and screams a lot. I said, so watch what you think, you know. And so she laughed, but we really got to connect. I hope that we get to see her again and talk to her again, and that I can just see how she grows and lives for God. Um, I just thought it was it's always neat to get to connect with someone in that kind of personal way on the road. We don't always get to do that because we're in, in one service and then we're gone, you know. But so that was neat to me. And then uh, we went to Texarkana that night. It was just a miracle service. The altars were just full of people praying and believing for a miracle. I don't know all of the testimonies from the service, all the people that raised their hands and said that pain left their body or God touched them. But I do know what I felt in the altar call, and it was so powerful. You could just feel the faith in the room. You could just feel that God was really there and he was he was doing something. You know, it's one of those times where you can't pinpoint everything that was done, but you know that God was working. And then the next day, we went and we were in Philadelphia, Mississippi. And my favorite thing that happened while we were there is that three people received the Holy Ghost in one of the services. But what's so cool is that it was kids. To me, there's like nothing like watching a little kid seek God and cry and be tender receive the Holy Ghost. It was just so powerful. That was one of the altar calls that Ezra said, Mom, I have to go potty. (laughs) So I missed half of it. But when I came back, those kids were praying. My husband was praying with them, and it was just awesome and so exciting to see that. And then after that, we went, like I said, to uh, Hugo, Oklahoma. It's a little bitty town. It had just such a cute little downtown area, and uh, we really just enjoyed going there. It was our first time there. And so it's always neat to go somewhere for the first time and meet and make new friends. And we really felt like that's what we did. We made new friends when we went there. But what was really neat was one of the services, or in several of the services, there was people that received the Holy Ghost. I think like five people were filled with the Holy Ghost in that revival One thing that was incredible, or one of the services, it was a mom and a son that were filled in the same service. And how special is that? Also, at the end of the revival, a lady came up and she told my husband, she said that she had been in a car accident three years ago, I think three years, and she had had chronic neck and back pain constantly. Neck pain, back pain, headaches, just everyday pain. And that after, I don't know which service, but after one of the services, I can't remember that it was gone since that day. I think after this Saturday night, it was gone. And so on Sunday night, she told us and she said, 
and I wore heels all day today. And usually if I wear heels, my back is like killing me in 30 minutes. We thought that was so just exciting because I can't imagine living with pain for years and years. That's all. I wanted to just tell you what we had been up to right now uh, when this episode airs. We are in Branson, Missouri on vacation, much needed, and we are enjoying it. And we have just had a blast, you know, watching our kids just have fun and enjoy running around and playing. And we went to see the Noah Sight and Sound. I have never been. I actually have never been to Branson. This is my first trip. And so uh, it's it's been fun doing something different. But Ezra loved Sight and Sound. It was so cool. His favorite part was that in the middle of it, you end up that you are in the ark. And he thought that was so cool. And he's been telling that. To everybody that asked about Noah, <laughs> so that was his favorite. And today we went to Silver Dollar City. Abby ate all day, and Ezra rode all the rides except for one. He was scared of fire in the hole or something. Him and Taylor got all the way up to the front of the line, and he would not go. And so that was—I thought it was funny, but I wasn't the one that waited in the whole line. That was—that was it, though. But he had a blast, and. We ate all the food and just had fun and just really have been enjoying getting some downtime together as a family. Anyways, last week, uh, I'll just go ahead and get into the episode. We talked about uh, losing control and then I told you that we would turn that to talk about learning to trust. I'll share a personal experience kind of of when God planted this question in my mind kind of and he really wanted me to dig and find an answer. So I'll share that with you today, learning to trust. We'll start today with that situation in 2013 that I told you that God was pushing me to learn to trust Him. And um, that's not the reason for the situation. It's not the reason for the illness that I'll talk about, but it was a byproduct. God used it and said, okay, through this, I'll teach you to trust me. Through this, I'll press you to ask questions and figure out where you stand on this, basically. So my stepmom, my dad is now remarried to a woman named Kim, and uh, my kids call her Mim, and she's absolutely wonderful and great and such a blessing, and she has been so good for my dad, and so I'm so thankful for her. I'm so thankful for her story. They actually went to high school together and then connected, you know, a while after my my other stepmom passed away. And so it's really neat. You know, they went to high school together. Neither of them were in the church. And then uh, years pass, you know, my dad gets the Holy Ghost, gets in church, and he got married um, to my stepmom. Her name was Dale. So then she had cancer multiple times, multiple years. She really fought so hard. And my dad waited on her, you know, was by her side through every moment of that and was absolutely an incredible depiction of love. Man, if 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 I ever was to have, you know, sickness like she had or go through something as 
you know, traumatic and, and long and all of it as her, painful as her, I, I hope, I pray that Taylor would be as loving to me and as caring to me and as faithful to me as my dad was to my stepmom. But um, oh, I realize I didn't actually say this. So then uh, after when my dad kind of caught up with with Kim again, after my stepmom Dale died, uh, they connected and, and just talked. And she was looking for a church. So she came to church and God filled her with the Holy Ghost at the Apostolic Church in Beaumont. And she has not left not even for a moment since, and she has been so good for my dad and so good for our family. And so I thought that was good to share and important to share that God had more for him after. And I'm so thankful for the way that God has continued my dad's story and, and redeemed lost time and you know all those things. But today I'm talking about Dale, Miss Dale. That's what I call her. She was precious to me, and I remember... When she was sick, so she'd been sick times past. I think she was honestly sick ever since I met her. She would have time periods of being in remission, and then it would come back or in a different way. But she was always so positive, and I know nothing more about her than that she was a servant. You know, when I was a kid, I, I just knew that she was she just paid attention to us, and she doted on us. We'd go over for a weekend with them, and she would give us pedicures and make our favorite snacks, and she showed love by acts of service. Can you tell? Uh, if there's anything that I get from her, I think it would be that. In, in time now, when I am serving my family and uh, loving on my family, I totally take cues from her, and I think of things that she did and things that were special that I want to continue. But anyways... I remember, you know, her doing those things, pedicures and making her favorite snacks and just all these special things. And I didn't know it when I first met her, but she was doing all of it while she had cancer and while she was so sick and felt so horrible. But for her, it was never about her, probably to a fault. And if I could spend time with her now, I would do a lot of things different. But that was when I was a young girl, and then as I got older, and then when I got in the church, and she was just always loving. I remember she was always an encourager to me. She would always say, Cindy, you're special. Cindy, God has a plan for you, and it's different than everyone else. And, you know, she's looking at me and saying these things while I am nowhere near God. And I remember hearing her call out my name. In the morning before school, I lived with them for one school year, which was my senior year of high school. She would call out my name in prayer. I can't tell you how many times I heard her praying for me. And even though I didn't I didn't care that she was praying for me then, but now I'm so thankful that when I was hateful and when I was a brat and when I was just all wrapped up in sin, that she prayed for me and her prayers made a difference in my life. But so when I got in the church, she got very sick again. I was a new convert. I was full of faith. And I just knew that God was going to heal her. I knew. Like, I remember moments in the altar. I, I held her hand. I danced and I shouted. And we, we danced all across the front of the altar. And I remember this specific moment, this specific service where we ended up 
we had danced and shouted and, and cried and wept. And that's the same thing. Crying and weeping is the same thing. <laughs> but you get it. We were praying and we were believing God. And we were up by the altar. And I remember this man in our church at the time. This was when I went to the Beaumont Church. He came up and he said that there were angels around us. That God was going to help us. And God was with us. And that um, God was for us, you know, or her. You know what I mean? And I remember knowing. And it was powerful. And I could tell you, I didn't see them. But I could feel. It was just so strong, you know, what we felt. And I think it was honestly when God gave us the strength, those ministering angels helped us to where we could get through what was next. And I didn't go through near what my mom, my dad, and my stepmom went through. But I was right there when they were praying. So I just knew God was going to heal her. And so the day that my dad, you know, they'd been in Houston at MD Anderson. And um, the day that my dad came home, I was trying to get ready for work. And I was sitting on the couch. I heard the garage door open. And my dad walked through the, the garage door, through the side. And he was by himself. And I thought, wait, what? Like, it didn't even cross my mind that she had passed away. That wasn't my first thought because I knew that God was going to heal her. Have you ever had something like that where you just knew God was going to come through? Okay, and I know that when we die and when we are right with God, we will be whole in heaven, you know, and... All of that. I know it, but I'm human, and that's not how I asked God to heal her. It's just not. That's not what I prayed. That's not what I had believed for. And I was so shook when my dad was just like, he wasn't really crying, I don't think. I'm sure he had already cried all the tears he could cry at the moment, you know, and more would come. But I, he kind of just nodded his head. I don't even know if he told me, and I knew. And I'm like, Okay, wait, God, like, this is the first thing that ever shook, like, my faith or, or or made me think, okay, God, what are you doing? It was the first thing when I got in the church that made me think that. And I'd been in church for three years at that time. And so in the following days, I remember this question in my mind because I needed an answer. I wasn't okay just saying, okay, God, you chose differently than I believed. No, I, I knew. God, I had faith. God, I believed that you were going to do this. Now what? And so I remember asking Taylor because he had all the answers, I thought. And I said, babe, what do you do when God doesn't? And he said, "Um, I guess you just trust. Okay, that was not a good enough answer for me. I was like, no, that's not enough. I need a real answer, and that is not a real answer. I don't know, I guess. No, that is not okay. And so I wrote this question in my journal, and I wrote it in my phone notes. And I just wrote, what do you do when God doesn't? And as time passed, the question kind of faded, you know. And it was no longer at the top of my memory. And I'll confess to you that my new convert, Crazy Faith, that I had just really wavered. And where once I had believed that God could not just do anything, but God would do everything. 
kind of just went away. And I was a lot less bold in the way that I prayed, and especially for miracles or healings, and even more for cancer, because that was a wound for me. It wasn't blatant or thought out. It just was. I would say, God, I believe you can do anything. But I wasn't bold enough to just ask him. And years passed. And I really forgot the question, but I had this weak place in my spirit, this weak place in my walk with God where my trust was lacking and my faith was pretty broken, honestly. And then homecoming, 2017, um, Brother Aaron Bounds was preaching, and I remember he came and he prayed for me. I don't know if it was during the worship service or during the altar call. Uh, Taylor was right next to me, and he told me, he said this, There's one step further than faith. It's trust. Trust God. Love God. And I don't know what he said after that. I remember in the moment, knowing that those words were weighty, but not knowing how they applied. In that phrase that he told me, along with a Bible story that I will talk about in a minute, have become something I have held to and repeated to myself over and over. And I have found that each year of my life, like I talked about earlier, God has pressed me to trust Him in a new way. And as each new way arises, I remind myself of these words and what I have learned through them. And I want to share that with you today. It won't be a super deep study, but hopefully it will be a life lesson that will just stick with you as it has with me. I knew those words that he had, that Brother Aaron Bounds had spoken to me. I knew that they had value, and I knew that God was speaking straight to me. But I didn't know how to apply them or even why they were said. I remember I wasn't praying about anything like that. But God was trying to teach me something. So not long after, I wrote those words down too. I told y'all, I write everything down. So I wrote those down too. I just kind of kept them and I knew that maybe I would need them. I knew they were important. So not long after, a friend that I was just talking to, a church member in passing, had lost someone that they loved to cancer. They talked about how they didn't understand because they had, had had great faith that God was going to do a miracle for their family member. And before I knew what I was saying, I shared the words that Brother Bounds had spoken to me. There's one step further than faith. It's trust. Trust God. Love God. And I shared how that applied. And as I walked away from the conversation, I realized in that moment, over a year after the words were spoken, and many years after my first question was asked, that this word was the answer to a long-ago question and would be the balm that would heal the wound that had been left from the loss. A question that had weighed in my mind ever since I first asked it, but I had forgotten that it was there. Just because I forgot that I asked the question didn't mean that it wasn't still hindering my trust in God, though. And this word that I was given was the answer of what to do when it doesn't make sense. What to do when I can't quite understand what to do when the miracle doesn't happen and things don't go the way that I prayed them to. I trust. What do you do when God doesn't? You trust. 
you trust God and you love Him still. And there's a story that I believe perfectly depicts the process of stepping from only faith to holding the balance between faith and trust. And it's the story of the three Hebrew boys and how taking this great leap and growing ourselves not only affects us, but affects those around us. Most of us have heard of the three Hebrew boys. We probably even know their names. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were written about in the book of Daniel, except those weren't their real names. We may know these new names, but how did they get to Babylon? And how did they find themselves refusing to bow to this king? So I want to start with a little bit of history. Uh, Our story is centered in Babylon, which, by the way, is located about 60 miles from present-day Baghdad, Iraq. I thought that would kind of give us some perspective of location. Around 500 B.C. was the time. Nebuchadnezzar had just defeated, this is the king, the Assyrians, which then led to Babylon being in control of Syria and all of Palestine. And on his way back to Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar besieged Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar didn't actually attempt to conquer Jerusalem until fully conquer, until sometime later. But I read that he started at this point deporting Hebrews out of their land in three trips. And on this first round of deportation, he took the best and the brightest back to Babylon so he could train them in the Babylonian ways and use them to better his kingdom. So the smartest, the strongest, the young and full of potential, these are the ones that he chose. I read that many of them were even of noble birth. Then he treated them well. They were given good positions in Nebuchadnezzar's uh, royal court and were expected to learn the language and the culture of Babylon. Their training would last three years. Three years of being pumped full of the Babylonian ways before they were put into full-time service. As part of their assimilation into the culture of Babylon, the chief official gave them all other names. He gave the name Belshazzar to Daniel, Shadrach to Hananiah, Meshach to Mishael, and Abednego to Azariah. The purpose of changing the young men's names was to help erase their attachment to their own nation and religion. In other words, every possible effort was made to make them forget the God of their people and to force them to embrace Babylonian pagan culture instead, even though they had put in all this effort. All four of those men, those boys, remained true to our God throughout their years in Babylon. Hananiah means, my God is gracious. Michelle means, who is what God is. And Azariah means this, Yahweh has helped. These three had been marked by their parents with these birth-given names. And as we go through the story, we'll see how as these boys stayed true to what they knew, God showed up and showed these names to be true. And also, I want to say that the new given names all were an attempt to glorify these false 
pagan little G gods. But these men stay true to their core beliefs, even while living and working and even thriving in this pagan culture. But they didn't let it undermine their relationship with God. Don't you think that today we are challenged to do the same? We are living in a culture in in our world today that is completely different than that of the church. But we are expected to stay true to our God, stay true to what we know and what we believe, but we still have to live in the world. And they did such a great job at this, as far as we read. These these four did. So I'll start here. Daniel 3 and 12 says this, the king's men speaking to the king. There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. So by the wording here, uh, we can see that, and like I talked about, you know, the Jews were taken out and they were deported at in multiple times. So it wasn't just, they didn't just go and, and take four men, four boys. They had taken a lot. So these weren't the only three Jews that were in Babylon, but they were the only three who refused to bow to the idols here. Others had chosen to follow the crowd But the three didn't care what happened. They were going to remain true to the one true God. And when he heard this, Nebuchadnezzar, he he gave them one more chance. But if not, they'd be thrown into the fiery furnace. And here's their answer. And it's really the main point for today. If that is the case, this is the way they answer it. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to, to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Taking that leap from faith to trust is scary, but it is so effective And their answer is the perfect example of it. Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. That's their faith speaking. Saying our God is able. He's able to do anything. But then their next answer. But if not. But if not. We will not serve your gods. Nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. That's trust. But if not. Faith says God you can do anything. But trust says, God, whether you do or whether you don't, I know that you are in control. And that's why we need both. Whether he heals me or not, I trust that he has a more perfect way, a more perfect plan than I could ever try to work out. When loneliness tries to overtake me, I don't look around and wonder where God has gone. I trust. I trust That what he was for Hagar in the Old Testament, he can be for me today. I trust that he is the God who sees me. When I look at my life and I feel like I just don't know what's next, I don't try and pick up control like we talked about last episode, but I trust 
that He's leading me. I trust that He is ordering my steps. Something I have learned in the last few years of my life is that faith produces passion. Faith is bold. Faith speaks. But trust produces peace. And peace cannot be found any other way than through simply trusting God. And when I trust Jesus, there is a peace that comes. I don't have to try and figure things out on my own. I can have peace and rest in the fact that He is God and that He is in control. One of my favorite scriptures in times where I just don't understand and in times where God doesn't work the way that I wish He had. You ever feel like that? You know, you pray for something, you ask for something, you believe for something, and it doesn't work the way that you wanted, whether big or small. It's just sometimes it's hard when God doesn't go by our plans. You know, we thought we had a good plan. (laughs) But the scripture is this, and it helps keep me balanced, and it helps keep me grounded. Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you. Because he trusts in you. And there we see that in this trust. Trust is keeping our mind on God. It's like Peter stepping out on the boat. You know, when his eyes were fixed on Jesus, there was that trust. And there was that peace in knowing, okay, he said, I can do this. I can do this. But when we get our eyes off of God and we get our eyes on the storm around us or the situation around us, our faith, our trust just kind of wavers. And so... That scripture always helps me to say, okay, Cindy, look at God. Keep your eyes on God, not on anything else, and I know that He'll get me through it. But we'll get back and we'll finish uh, the Three Hebrew Boys story. The ending of it, I think, shows so well how our faith and trust in God in times of uncertainty affect others in the absolute best way. So these three boys, they refused to bow. Even after hearing that whoever wouldn't bow would be thrown in the fire. You know, one translation of, of the verse that we talked about earlier said, We are not careful to answer you, O king. And I love that wording. I love that they didn't have to think twice about whether or not to give in to what everyone else was doing. The roots that their parents had instilled in them and ultimately that they had grabbed a hold of for themselves were so strong that nothing could uproot their loyalty to God. So Nebuchadnezzar gets the the guards to crank a furnace up seven times hotter to be exact. Why did he do that? But we have to think like we can't overestimate the embarrassment that this king suffered from the refusal of these three boys to abide by Babylonians, by Babylon's law to worship. The most powerful man on the planet, in his eyes, right? <laughs> Could not get three men from the people that he was conquering to at least bow to his gods. And it made him furious. Nebuchadnezzar must have thought, Am I not their Lord who proved my gods are stronger than theirs when I conquered them? All of this just points to great pride on the part of Nebuchadnezzar. And our knowledge of Babylon at the time indicates that 
Humanly speaking, that king, he had every right to be proud. Babylon's reign over a huge empire that it encompassed the area from Egypt to Iran to Syria to Saudi Arabia. Nebuchadnezzar's city was incredible. It had the best of the best, the best technology, the best um, philosophers, all of it. They were the smartest, the brightest, the best, the strongest. It was also home to uh, the Hanging Gardens, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world that they talk about. He had no shortage of reasons to be puffed up with pride. And he didn't know, but would soon find out that these boys served the king of all kings. Nebuchadnezzar's power paled in comparison to our God. The king had the three boys bound and thrown in the fire. And that seven times hotter was so hot that the men that threw him in, threw them in, died just to be near it. Yet the king and those surrounding him were shocked to see three boys walking around. I think this, when they said that their God was able to deliver them from the king's hands, I doubt, I seriously doubt that they thought deliverance would include them actually stepping foot in the fire. But isn't that how our God shows his power sometimes? We actually do go through trials and hardships. But I know this, and so do you. We don't stay there. Isaiah 43 and 2 says it like this. This is the ESV. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. God is with us every step of the way, just like he was with these boys. And when they later got out of that fire, the Bible says that they didn't even smell like smoke. Not even a single hair on their head was singed. They were not consumed by their time of fire And I promise, you won't be either. And then you see Nebuchadnezzar. He's like so shocked to see the boys walking around, but also to see a fourth body in the fire. So much so that I think he thought his eyes had deceived him. We see that they were walking and they're unhurt in the midst of trouble, walking back and forth in the fire, not trying to escape it, but waiting until it was time to move forward, waiting until it was time to be released, waiting until God's plan was unfolded, not pushing their way to the next thing when it got uncomfortable, waiting, waiting as Jesus waited three days in the tomb, waiting as Noah waited in the ark after the flood until he was released. There's a lot to be said of our ability to wait. And I think it also speaks a lot of our trust when we agree to wait and we don't fight in our waiting. But maybe that's for a different episode. Um, I do know that I want my waiting to bring God glory. And as they walked, the Babylonian king said this. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. I looked through and different translations say the last part differently. 
Some say he saw an angel. Some say um, he saw a son of, of, of the little G gods. Um, some say he saw a divine being. That's just all the different translations, how they translate those old words into new. But whichever way you say it, he knew that what was happening was miraculous. And he wanted to know more. I'm sure later giving the Hebrew boys the perfect opportunity to explain. As we know that this was God, robed in flesh and a foreshadow of his future coming down to earth to walk again with his people. You know, the next thing the king said was he recognized these three boys as servants of the Most High God. How shocking that must have been to all of those around him who worshipped these false gods and golden images. He acknowledged that the God of the Hebrews was the one true God. And the chapter ends with this. This is ESV. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who had sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other god who is able to rescue in this way. There is no other God able to rescue in this way. He also acknowledges that our God does things that can't be explained. Things that no one else can do. Our trust in God allows Him to come to our rescue in the greatest ways. It allows others to see Him in our trials and tribulations. Our trust in God is able to turn those that are against us into ones that will later come to our defense. Trust brings peace. In the most chaotic of situations, trust ultimately brings God glory every single time. Trusting God has blessings for us and blessings for those around us. And I'll end with this. The very next chapter of Daniel starts with this. Nebuchadnezzar boldly proclaiming the praises of God that he had once denounced and doubted. Here it is. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are His sounds, how mighty His wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and His dominion endures from generation to generation. This is a king who served many pagan gods, giving the highest honor and praise to our God. How great are his signs. How mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion endures from generation to generation. Wow. That he would be so changed and so moved by these three boys 
and what our God did for them and how God showed up for them. To me, it sounds as if living a life of trust is a crucial ingredient in us as Christians to being salt and light to those that we see and talk to every day. Thank you for listening. I'll talk to you next time.